0: Let us pray. Father, I do thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, and I pray that it would fill us today, both in my words and in our hearing of these words and receiving them. And may uh, we receive what you would have us to receive, the great gifts that you have given to us. I ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. This is, this morning, going to be a little bit of an odd odd sermon. At least I feel it uh, as if it's an odd sermon. We're deviating from the lectionary today to address something that I was originally going to address as an announcement. And as I began to work through this announcement, I realized that this was a bad announcement because it's going to take so long that I could just feel the daggers coming from parents uh, as we worked through this long announcement. So I figured, you know what? need to spend time on this a little bit. Um, and the best way to do that is in a sermon. So we're doing that this morning. We're going to be talking about confirmation. Um, this is a topic that's come up recently through working through our bylaws. It will come up again as the bishop. It will be coming for his episcopal visit in May. And so with some questions that I was getting, and just the prevalence of the topic in certain conversations that really I need to take a Sunday and just talk about confirmation. Um, this is something, like many of you, uh, I grew up in a tradition and a denomination in which confirmation was not a thing. I didn't know what confirmation was. Um, it was not a part of the tradition I grew up in. And I'm indebted to Father Phil and Father Ron for helping me understand the importance uh, of what confirmation is and the gift that it is to the church. Those of us who grew up in denominations where confirmation was not a part of our uh, life in the church. One of the first reactions that I had, and I think probably many of us have, is why do I need that? Or I don't need that. I'm already a Christian. I'm already a part of this family of God. I don't need confirmation. And I want to start with that reaction, which is an understandable reaction, a reaction that I had at one point, as a way of getting into what confirmation is. And I want to make two points about that reaction. Why do I need it? Or I don't need it. I'm already a part of the family of God. First, necessity is a funny thing. I think we often fail to remember when speaking of needs that nothing is necessary simply. Or maybe say nothing outside of God himself is necessary simply. Things are necessary for particular ends. Food and water are necessary for health and physical survival a well-functioning government is necessary for peace and safety and a well-ordered society. Now, we might think of food and water and a well-functioning government as basic necessities. But they are necessary for a particular end. And countless stories of saints and martyrs tell us that one may be starved without food and water. One may be... uh, uh, mistreated by tyrannical governments and still maintain what is most important to a human being. The eternal hope of salvation. The love and favor of our God with all the peace and joy that comes with it. Even without these basic necessities, we still have what we need. God. And losing these basic necessities does not deprive us of what is most important. All this to say that when we speak of necessity, we need to, or or, or needing or not a needing thing, we should be able to state what that need or not need is for. Now, usually we say, I don't need confirmation. What we mean is, I don't need it for salvation. I don't need it to be a part of the family of God. I'm already that. To which I say, Great. Right. That's not the point. That is not the end for which confirmation uh, is necessary. In fact, while there are, and I'll get to the second point here, while there are certain necessities of confirmation, uh, they are nowhere near, I think, uh, what we often say we don't need confirmation for. A second point about Need and necessity. I fear that we go astray, far astray, we go on the wrong path when we talk about necessity here. We live in a land of luxury and excess. What we consider needs here in our area um, are far from what from basic necessities, right? We need that boat, right? We need that extra house. We need that vacation house. Right. We need that extra income so that we can have a uh, that that upper middle class retirement someday. Those are necessities of life. Those are luxuries in excess. Just be honest. Right? Those are luxuries. Yet despite living in a land of luxury and excess, when it comes to the worship of God, very often we try to see what what is just the bare necessities. What can I get by with? Right. What is it that I can just say, this is, what I, this is just the bare necessity so that I can be right with God. Anything beyond that, let's not worry about. Why do I need that? And so we say confirmation. I'm already a Christian. Why do I need that? I don't need it. Well, to respond to that, let me call upon one of the great sages of our Western civilization. Shakespeare's King Lear. Lear, when his daughters were taking his power away from him, taking his kingdom away from him, his daughters ask him, why do you need your retinue of knights, your following, your, your army? Why do you need that? To which Lear responds, oh, reason not the need. Our basest beggars are in the poorest things superfluous. Give not nature more than nature needs. Man's life is cheap as beasts. In other words, to be a human means to look beyond basic necessities. And that is so because God made it so. God is, when in making our world, God did not say, what are the bare necessities I can get by with? Rather, He is a God who lavishes good gifts upon this world, upon his people, he pours himself out and says, I will give you abundantly more than you can think or ask. Don't just think about our in our relationship with him, the bare necessities, what I need. And I think we are right or or wrong to think about confirmation in the terms of Do we need it? Is it necessary? Rather, we are to think about it as one of God's great gifts to his people. A blessing that he wants to give to us that the church bestows upon its people. This is the primary way of thinking about confirmation. Now, if I were to want to give a gift to a friend, I have a friend and I think I'm going to give and I say I'm going to make him a A beautiful painting. Let's say I was an artist and I'm going to to paint him something that is meaningful to him. A a landscape of of an area that is just a a meaningful part of his life from his childhood. And I want to do this for love of this person. And so I do. I I spend time painting this picture and I give it to my friend and he says, I don't need that. I would be justified in being taken aback. And saying, well, I wasn't really thinking about the need so much. Just was thinking about loving you and giving you something that would be meaningful. So, too, when the church says, I would like to give you the opportunity for a godly man, a bishop who represents the church, the successor to the apostles, I would we'd like to give you the opportunity for that man to pray over you God's blessing. To pray the filling of the Holy Spirit upon you to ask that the Spirit come upon you and bless your life and your ministry in the world and to welcome you into this beautiful family. And the response is, I don't need that. I think I'm a little bit justified in being slightly taken aback and saying, oh, reason, not the need. This is a gift of love that is being offered to you. So first and primarily, that is how I want us to think about confirmation as a gift, as a beautiful gift that is offered to us. Are there necessities and practicalities? Yes, and we'll get to those. But first and foremost, this is a beautiful gift that is offered. Anecdotally, I will say that it is one of, one of the more, it is one of the greatest gifts that I received. When I was confirmed, I had been years in the church. I had worked in the church as a missionary. I had served in the church as a teacher. I had preached for years. I was well entrenched in the faith and thought originally, I don't need that sort of thing, but it was one of the most beautiful gifts. I was moved to tears as the bishop laid his hands on me and prayed for me. I received it as a great gift and it was very meaningful to me. So what is this gift? What is this gift that we are offered? Well, let's look first at the biblical uh, roots of confirmation. And we have to do a little bit of digging here. Um, But when we talk about the biblical roots of confirmation, we generally turn to the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, there are a series of stories that link baptism, the affirmation of the faith, the presence and prayer of the apostles, often with the laying on of hands, and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Some examples. Our reading in Acts this morning, Acts 8. We have the, uh, Philip is evangelizing in Samaria, a new area of evangelization. People come to faith, they're baptized, and then what happens? The apostles go to, uh, Peter and John go to Samaria. And they hear this affirmation of faith. They see it and they say they say, we're going to lay our hands on you and pray for you. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So we have this the baptism, the affirmation of faith, the apostles coming, praying over the people. And then there's the blessing of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10, we have Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. Peter goes to him. Peter is sent by him in a miraculous way, to him in a miraculous way. Peter preaches the gospel. There is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There is baptism as Peter prays for Cornelius. In Acts 19, Paul is in Ephesus and he's preaching to people who haven't yet fully known and heard, understood the gospel. They've heard of the baptism of John, but they haven't yet received the baptism of Jesus. And so Paul teaches them. They affirm the faith. They, Paul baptizes them in the name of Jesus. And then Paul lays his hands on him and them and prays the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Paul the Apostle prays the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon them. And so we see a pattern here. There is a profession of faith. There is baptism. There is the Apostles laying hands on them publicly, affirming the faith. And there is a blessing of of the Holy Spirit. And it is from these elements that we see that the rite of confirmation comes from in the church. Now I want you to notice here that confirmation is a two-way street. There are two kinds of confirmations that are taking place here. First, there is the public affirmation or the confirmation made by the person being confirmed the person who has been baptized and is now is in the presence of the apostles and they are confirming their faith and so they are making that public affirmation. Now, what are they affirming when we say the faith? They are affirming what they... And, and this is we get this from the tradition of the church. They are affirming what they believe to be true, their, com- their commitment to the relationship with God and a commitment to obey His commands. And this is why in our catechisms, almost all catechisms I know are based around three things. The creed, that commitment to what we believe, the Lord's prayer, the commitment to that relationship with God, and the Ten Commandments. Commitment to obeying the commands of God, walking with Him. Or as often we refer to them as faith, hope, and love. So this is what is publicly being affirmed in Confirmation. Now, all these things are very important, especially for those who are baptized as infants. Though, in our Acts passages, that is not the case. These are not people who are baptized as infants. But, for those, our children, who are baptized as infants, it is extremely important that they reach a point in their life where they make a public affirmation of their faith. To confirm what they believe. I appreciate uh, Father Ron for pointing out the simple fact of the word confirmation. What does it mean? It is to say with firmness. So you are saying with firmness, that faith that I was baptized into as a child, I now with firmness state that this is my own. As we would confirm a reservation, I say with firmness, I'm going to be there. Now this child who has come to maturity says with firmness, this is my faith it's very important for the child. But what about those of us who are baptized at an older age? We might say, I've already made that public affirmation. I've already said with firmness that I am a that I I believe this to be the faith. This is what I'm committing to. I don't need confirmation then. And to some extent, that part of confirmation indeed has been done, though. I worry about those of us who get really upset about having to declare once again that I love and am devoted to God. That's a real burden. Like I might be worried about the husband who says, I, I, you know, I got married to the woman. I proclaimed once publicly that I loved her. Do I really have to say that I love her again? There's a problem there if that's true. So there might be a little bit of a problem if we say do I really have to confirm that I love God and I'm committed to obey. That said, there has already been a public affirmation of the faith. And it is here that the other way, the other part of confirmation comes into play. Not only is the person being confirmed makes his public affirmation, but here it is the church in the person of a bishop Confirming, saying with firmness before the world that this indeed is a member of this body. The bishop is making that public affirmation. This indeed is a member of this body. He is confirming, just as the person who's being confirmed is confirming. And once again, we might say, I don't need a man confirming my faith and my status. I'm confident in my faith and who I am. It's between me and God. I'm in Christ. I don't need someone else to tell me that I'm in Christ. I'm grateful again for Father Ron pointing another part of Scripture out in, in relation to this, this point. Paul, the apostle, Paul himself, received revelation of the faith directly from Christ. In the book of Galatians, he says, what I know to be true I didn't get it from any other man. I got it straight from Christ. Directly from him. And then what did I do? After getting this revelation, he went to Jerusalem to the apostles, to Peter and James, to be received into the church, for those apostles to give him the right hand of fellowship. Did Paul need that? He got it straight from Christ. This was between him and Christ. He still went to the church, to the apostles, and was received into the church. There is no hint in the Bible that your faith is just between you and God. That is an error. My faith is just that's between me and God. We don't get that from Scripture. Rather, we are being brought into a family, a communion. And all the blessings that are confirmed about you by a bishop are not things that you took for yourself. They are things that are given to you by the grace of God. And in this confirmation by the church in the person of the bishop, it is a visual expression, a reminder that you can't take these things for yourself. They are given. Just as the fact that consecration of elements is reserved for a priest or absolution of sin is reserved for a priest. It's a sign, not that the priest is some really, really cool guy, but rather that these are things we cannot do for ourselves. These are things that must be given to us. And so that confirmation of your presence in the in the by a bishop, of your presence in the body is a reminder that I didn't do this myself. I didn't just by brute force of my own will and goodness, jam myself into this family. And I was born into it. I was brought into it. And this is a grace that is given to me. But once again, we err in looking only at the need here. It is not primarily about the need of being received into the church. This is a great gift that is given. And to understand this gift, I think I need to talk for a minute about an idea called apostolic succession. What do I mean by that? Paul, in his letters to the uh, Titus and Timothy, talks about laying his hands on them, talks about appointing them to carry on his ministry. He's an apostle. He's appointing men to carry on his ministry. And then he tells them, you do the same. You appoint men to carry on your ministry. Clement I, um, in around AD 80, just after the time of the apostles, first century, he writes a letter to the Corinthians in which he talks about the apostles doing just that. The apostles appointing their successors. They appoint men to carry on their ministry and then those successors are appointed to do the same. Irenaeus, In his arguments against the heresies, uh, the heretics says we have the lists, the successors, the lineage of the apostles coming down to us. The men who laid hands on men, who laid hands on men and passed on this faith. And the church thought it good and right to maintain that lineage. And we have that in the Anglican church. Uh, At the time of the Reformation, some of the Reformed churches dismissed the idea of apostolic succession. The Anglican church retained it. It was its Reformation was led by bishops and they retained this direct lineage of apostolic succession. And this is not just some sort of ethereal. Well, we kind of believe what the apostles believed, though I, I doubt sometimes that's true that is maintained just in believing what they believed. But in actual persons, through the laying on of hands and the asking of the blessing of the Holy Spirit on successors, connecting us directly to the apostles and Jesus. I think this is a great gift and a blessing. Through those hands stretch the entirety of the church. A visible, physical representation of my inclusion in the communion of the saints of all time in the one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. What a gift. What a great sense of rootedness and an honor to have the apostolic successor pray for strength and power of the Holy Spirit to fill my life. And that is what is prayed for. The blessing of the Holy Spirit upon us. The rite of confirmation is all about the Holy Spirit. It is a prayer for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Can one have the Holy Spirit without being confirmed? Yes, but this is a prayer for the blessing of the Holy Spirit. In a special way. It is sometimes referred to as sort of ordination to lay ministry. That... The bishop is coming before you and praying the blessing of the Holy Spirit on your life and your ministry. And that is a great gift. And it is this reason, by the way, that it is only a bishop who confirms. Just like it's only a bishop who will ordain this successor to the apostles, it is only the bishop that will will confirm as well so that we have this lineage stretching back. And once again, I think this is one of the great gifts that the church has to offer to us. But confirmation does have its practical side as well. Um, And it finds this if we're going to talk about need more, I think it is needful for children, especially to, to make that public affirmation, but I think it is also needful, necessary, for the regular and orderly working of the church. A church that seeks to maintain orthodoxy and hold to the faith that it has received needs a way of knowing that its officers, that it, people that represent it, are committed to that faith. And confirmation or reception, as we'll talk about it in a second, is a way of giving a public expression to that of knowing, of saying, yes, you have confirmed that this is your faith. Believe. If you're going to represent us, we sort of need to know that that's the case. If you're going to be a part of the ministry, the, the full as an officer of the church, kind of need to know that you're committed to the faith. And this is a, an expression of that. And just the orderly working of the church needs some way of marking that. And confirmation or reception uh, is a way of doing that. Now, I just introduced a new word, reception. So let me talk for a minute, sort of the practicalities. And and to be honest, this is where it gets sometimes very messy um, and it gets confusing and it gets um, it's sad to me in some cases, in some of what I'm going to say, the divisions in the church that we have to overcome. Um, because of this. Uh, so what I, everything I've said is what I really want to stress today. It is a great gift that is offered. Right? That is the, the main point I want to make. And now we're talking about some of the, the messiness and the um, necessity of being able to uh, know that the people representing the church affirm the faith. So confirmation is what I just had just gone through. There is the, the public affirmation of the confirmand, and the public confirmation of the bishop that this person does believe. Now, if the the confirmand, the person being confirmed, has already made that public confirmation, it is more the case that we might call what the bishop is doing is receiving them into the church. Uh, The the bishop is making this public announcement. Yes, this is a a member of the body of Christ, and we're receiving them into, in our case, the Anglican Church of North America. We're recognizing that this is a, 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 a um, child of God. We're giving them the right hand of fellowship and we're saying, yes, indeed. We love you. You're a part. And you are now authorized in some sense to represent us in, in the church. Uh, so if, you've, if you have made that public affirmation of faith and you're now coming as an adult for that, then the bishop receives you into the church. Um, if you've never made that public affirmation, you've baptized as a child. Then it is sort of the the both ways of confirmation that's taking place. One way we might work through exactly what all this means is I've printed out on here um, on your worksheet the introduction in our prayer book to uh, the service of confirmation, and I'm just going to read through this as I go and and make some comments. Um, This sort of hope sums up what I've been a little bit of what I've been trying to say. The Anglican Church requires a public and personal profession of faith from every adult believer in Jesus Christ. Confirmation or reception by a bishop is its liturgical expression. So it gives us a ceremony by which this is officially and and beautifully done. Confirmation is clearly grounded in Scripture as the Apostles prayed for and laid their hands on those who had already been baptized. Some examples there. In confirmation, through the bishops laying on of hands and the prayer for the daily increase of the Holy Spirit, God strengthens the believer for the Christian life in the service of, Christ's kingdom, of Christ and His kingdom. Grace is God's gift, and we pray that He will pour out His Holy Spirit on those who have already been made His children by adoption And by grace in baptism. So this is something for who are already members of the family of God. And is that gift of praying the Holy Spirit's blessing on them. At the direction of the bishop and after public reaffirmation of their baptismal promises, those having having made adult professions of faith in other Christian traditions, including those confirmed in other traditions, are received into the Anglican church with prayer and the laying on of hands. Of the bishop, so if you've made that public, as I've said, if you made that public affirmation, it is more what's happening in place is a reception. Uh, you're welcomed in to the Anglican Church of North America. Um, now, if you've been confirmed, if you've been confirmed by a bishop in apostolic succession before, this really is a, a pure reception. We acknowledge that you already are linked to the historic church. We, we know that, right? We we acknowledge that. The, so if if you've been confirmed Roman Catholic, if you were Orthodox, which was confirmed at, at birth, or chrismated, it is, it is a reception. There are some other churches, like Scandinavian Lutherans, uh, maintained apostolic succession. Um, and so we, we... It is a... It, all, all that's happened in that confirmation has already taken place. This is just the, the public reception into the church, saying, as an a member of the ACNA now... Uh, if you've not been confirmed by that apostolic successor, then there is that apostolic blessing now at this point saying, yes, we confirm and receive you into this church. So the messiness of this is that as with the divisions of the church that we have, the Episcopal Church, ACNA, the Lutheran Church, all the divisions that we have, in, in each of those denominations, there needs to be a way of saying, all right, as you're coming in, do you really confirm the orthodox faith? We need to know that. In the sense, we, we don't know exactly where you're coming from, or we know if you come from some places where they really are not holding orthodox faith. So we need to know, are you coming in holding the orthodox faith? Are you willing to commit to that? We kind of need to know if we're going to sort of authorize you to go do work. And the reception here is a way of saying, OK, you, you're confirming it. We know. And now we can, we, we can include you into this work. So, in, in, for example, in St. Andrew's, working through the bylaws, if you're going to be a voting member of the church, we need to know that you you've confirmed that you're holding the Orthodox doctrine. If you're going to be on vestry, making those decisions for the church, you need to know that you're committed to that. Um, so this is that expression of that, uh, in, in the faith. If you're going to hold certain offices, right? then need to know that you're, you're committed to that. Um, not saying that you weren't a Christian before. Not saying that you weren't a part of the, the family of God before or that all of your ministry beforehand is fruitless and worthless and now you can really do ministry now that you're confirmed or you're received. Not saying all of that, but this is just that expression of saying, all right, just kind of need to know before we authorize you to go do this that you're committed. And this is that expression of that. So um, confirmation is a is a in some cases a strange thing for many people a new idea but it's also a in as many things in this church a great mystery there's much that i don't understand about it that that is difficult but i want to say main point is it's a great blessing it is a gift i really don't want to think of it just in terms of necessity but when the necessity comes in as it is simply a matter of not saying you weren't a christian before but we sort of need to know that you're committed to this faith before we send you out and authorize you. So, uh, that all that said, ending the announcement, this very long announcement now, the bishop is coming in May. We're going to start confirmation classes um, in February for those who have not been confirmed and would like to. The adult confirmation will start in February. Father Phil will be, I'll be doing the adults. Uh, Father Phil will be doing... Um, children. Not exactly sure when he's going to start that yet, um, but I'll be starting in, in February with adults. If you would like to be confirmed, uh, then please talk to me. Um, if you have been confirmed in the past, then then we just need to sort of formalize that, that reception into the church. You've gone through confirmation classes and then, then talk to me. Probably you don't have to go through the confirmation classes. We'll just have some conversations to make sure you've You know, we know what we're doing, Um, but if you've not been confirmed in the past, then the confirmation classes would be good. Not just about confirmation to the adults. It'll be sort of bigger, sort of St. Andrew's 101 um, kind of thing. I'm working on a bigger sort of foundations class, as they're often called. That is my long announcement. With that, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.